Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I'm Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yeah. How you doing? Uh, very happy to be to have you on the podcast, back on the podcast two weeks in a row. Yeah. And it'll be a third. He'll be back next That's week right, as well. Yes. Uh, we haven't done, it's definitely been a while since we've done three in a row and I'm very excited. Yeah. I'm sure the listeners are as well. Um, what's on your mind? All right. So... So there are days when I'll watch, like, some classic movies, uh, days when I'll try to watch, like, some newer movies, um, and then there are days where it's like, all right, I'm going to go down, like, uh, a rabbit hole that I'm pretty sure is filled with shit, but, uh, but we'll try it anyway. And so that's what happened yesterday, is uh, I went down a... Uh, yesterday turned into sort of a, a, a Jeepers Creepers marathon, and uh, I hadn't seen the first one since the theater, and uh, I rewatched that solid, solid movie. Um, then I watched the second one, which I hadn't seen. Um, it was fine. Ray Wise is in it and is great, um, playing yet another uh, kind of crazy grieving father. And then um, uh, Jeepers Creepers three was not available. Uh, oh, but, no. but then I watched uh, Jeepers Creepers Reborn, and but how were you able to follow it? Uh, oh well, it's basically a kind of a sort of a reboot. Okay. Um, in so far as like they reference the first three movies as movies, oh, and okay. say, oh, this is the real thing, and so um, so what I'll say is, it's not every day that you see a movie that you that is immediately like, oh, this is literally one of the 10 worst movies I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> like similarly, like you don't see, it, it's sort of like when we are watching um, Terrence Davies movies and, I've, and just in watching it, it's like, wow, this guy's immediately one of my favorite directors of all time. And that was based just on four of his movies that I uh, that I watched and so it's just it's always interesting when you're watching stuff and you just kind of stumble upon something that you know you're going to love or in this case hate uh, for the rest of your life um, so like you know when people ask what are the worst movies you've ever seen uh, answers are usually like Mortal Kombat Annihilation um, I fucking hate that demolition movie and then uh, struck by lightning. Yeah. And uh, I can very firmly say that Jeepers Creepers Reborn is right in there. Like, there is nothing right. You know what, actually? It has a pretty good, it has a pretty good first scene, um, which only makes everything else that much worse. Um, it's absolutely astonishing. I was watching it with a friend, and... Afterwards, he and I were like, that's, I mean, I'll say this, it's like Christian movie level bad, insofar well. as Christian movies to me, not all of them, but uh, in the early days, Christian movies to me did not feel like real movies, like they didn't have the rhythm, they didn't have the, the tone of a real movie, it just felt like a movie made by like someone that had never seen movies, which in the case of Christian film is not a bad assumption, but it felt like that. 
and it felt really cheap. It felt really cheap, and I hate to say it, pretty much all the performances were terrible, and not just because, <laughs> not just because the cast was clearly all British, trying to sound like they're American and from Louisiana, and nobody pulls it off. Um, it's it was just just astonishing and so afterwards I said like we gotta look up the Rotten Tomatoes score on this one I have to assume it's below 10% um yeah it's zero (laughs) and uh so it's just one of those things like in a way it's uh it's kind of exciting when you see a movie that you know you're going to think back on for the rest of your life and it will cause anger and depression and uh and a little bit of uh a little bit of levity as well like <laughs> you know it's i think it's important to see movies that are not very good so you have some perspective and see like oh sure. like uh I'm trying to think of a movie i didn't like this year well there are several like the flash flash is not a very good movie but it has some good stuff in it and so like anyone who says like oh man Flash is one of the worst movies you've ever seen. I can only say, well, hang on now. Have you seen Jeepers Creepers? <laughs> um, yeah, so, like, it is a movie that needs to be seen to be believed. Yeah. Like, this level okay. of incompetence is astonishing. Um, now you got me thinking about what I think. I, no one has ever asked me what are the worst movies I've ever seen. It's tough. It's tough to, to I think, pull them up. Uh, Suburbicon is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Jawbreaker. Oh, I never saw it. Yeah, I thought I heard. I thought I heard good things about it. I mean, I think that's if you were a certain kind of teenager when sure. it came out, maybe. But sure. yeah, uh, looks like Jeepers Creepers three is available on Hoopla, which oh. is like uh, like Canopy. If you have uh, if your library participates, oh. you can watch Hoopla. So I, I have Hoopla. I'll have to look that up um, so that I can watch Jeepers Creepers 3 yeah. and really complete the experience. Complete the, complete the I, tetralogy. Yeah, I uh, still have four, four Terrence Davies features to watch, but no. I think I'd rather watch the end of the, uh, the complete series of Jeepers Creepers. Well, yeah, I was just telling you before we recorded that I uh, watched Bird Box Barcelona on Netflix, yeah. and sometimes this turns out well because i was yeah. not a fan of bird box but bird box barcelona i'll be damned if it isn't a blast yeah it's cool movie and i and that's the thing is i had not read any reviews for the new jeepers creepers but um and so i and it has i'll say this has a really good poster okay so i thought oh <laughs> let's give it a try i i mean i literally thought to myself how bad could it be? <laughs> and I mean, it's just, yeah, but sometimes you'll watch some, like I remember when I went to uh, the critic screening of The Meg, like the first uh-huh. one, uh-huh. it was so much better than I thought it was going to be. I mean, it's yeah. still shock, but like, I really enjoyed it. And so sometimes you can be pleasantly surprised. Yeah. And other times it can be one of the worst movies you've ever seen in your life. Well, um, we have uh, a lot of good movies to talk about today, mm-hmm. uh, but first I want to tell you about TweakedAudio.com. TweakedAudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. I use them each and every day of my life. Uh, today I was listening to 
the new Sleater Kinney album, Little Rope. And uh, I know this is going to make me sound like an old crank, but I'm not into the post Janet Weiss Sleater Kinney. Sleater Kinney are a three piece, as far as I'm concerned. And when it's just Carrie and Corin, it's not. It's not the same, and I just can't. I, I know I should like stop living in the past and embrace the present, but uh, I, I, I don't. I, I can't get on board with Sleater Kinney without Janet Weiss. So, uh, but fortunately, it sounded great at least on my tweakedaudio.com earbuds. Those are available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. But if you use the offer code Pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code Pretension. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Tyler, we're back. Yes. Uh, and we have the same guest as last week. Who is it? It's Scott Nye. Hello. Battleship Retention Editor at Large. Editor Scott at Large. Nye. Okay. I uh, forgot what his title was. If yeah. It was, you know, that's third, the one. third chair. Yeah, I yeah, said editor at large. Okay. Yeah, I've said third chair before, but that's a ripoff of Never Not Funny Indeed because that's what they call Pat Francis, who just had a birthday. Indeed, yes, happy birthday, Pat. Happy birthday, if Pat. You're not listening. And also happy birthday, Matt Champagne. For some reason, yeah. they both have the same birthday, and I always remember that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, let's get into it, shall we? Uh, we're uh, rapidly approaching me and Tyler's top ten, um, but this year, or, or sorry, this uh, is one of my favorite episodes to do uh, that Tyler came up with years ago. It's called Through the Cracks, and this is where we're, we're about to each count down five movies that are not in our top ten, nor in they are in our honorable mentions, right. nor are they in our underrated. Yeah. They're, but they're still movies that we think are good and that didn't get enough attention over right. the past year. Yeah. Um, a few words beforehand. I, I've, This is one of my favorite episodes to do, but I feel like maybe as I get further and further into like what I read and who i follow online like i have to like force some like force some perspective like fucking peter jackson um on on myself on what is actually through the cracks because i'm going to talk about some movies today that like within those circles did get attention in fact one of the movies i'm going to talk about today was either on scott's top 10 or in his honorable mentions i can't remember but um uh, yeah, it's a. So I I I don't know if our uh, where our listener listenership um, sits all the time on on the, yeah. on these movies. So I don't know if any of these will be a revelation to you, or if you'll be like, yeah, obviously I've heard of that. But um, still, a chance to talk about some movies we really like that we're not going to get another chance to talk about next week. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's really just a chance to talk about more movies of the year that we think positively about and whether they actually have fallen through the cracks or not um it's an opportunity to talk about them and because that's the thing is you know we're not talking about 
Oppenheimer, Barbie, or Anatomy of a Fall, or Poor Things. Like, you know, there are the movies that everyone's talking about. And then some of these might be movies that people just don't talk about as much. And so, mm-hmm. all right, well, maybe they deserve to be talked about that much. And so that's kind of uh, kind of my approach. Um, last thing I'll say before we, I don't know, Scott, do you have any opening thoughts? No, I mean, I, I think my approach is kind of somewhere between the two of you. Like, for me, they've fallen through the cracks with whatever their intended crap was. So some of these, like, one of mine is very mainstream. A few others are, like, kind of mid-level. And then okay. some are, like, for hardcore cinephiles only. But, like, with each of those crowds, I felt like they didn't catch on as far as I know. Um, last thing I'll say, just purely, I didn't intend it to be this way, but, um, three of my five are documentaries. Okay. And a fourth one is a first narrative feature from a documentarian. Oh, wow. So, uh, uh, this was a strong year for documentary, um, as we'll talk about when we get to, like, my own mentions and stuff next, next week. Uh, so yeah, we've got some good movies to talk about. Should we go in the same order as last week? Sure. Scott first. All right, um, so I'm going to start out with my more mainstream pick, um, which is Jason Moore's Shotgun Wedding. Um, this is a uh, Jennifer Lopez, Josh Duhamel romantic comedy that uh, sadly went straight to streaming on Prime Video. Um, and sadly, because I think it would have been a real hoot to watch in theaters. I, it just got released in January, and I was so excited by the trailer. So the film's about uh, these people going on... Uh, um, kind of a destination wedding whose wedding gets taken over by terrorists. Um, and I was so into the trailer and then everyone saw it when it came out and said it was trash. And I was like, ah, that's depressing. And so I put it off all year and finally watched it in December and had so much fun with it. Um, hmm. I very rarely, when I'm watching a movie by myself, laugh out loud at anything. Um, but the way the like, kind of head terrorist eventually dies in the film, oh man, I was hooting and hollering. It is a blast. Um, and it's, I, I love a gag death. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> movie. And yeah. It, it's even better than just an immediate gag. It's like one of those that you don't realize they've been building to for so long in the movie, and it's yeah. paying off in so many regards. So it has a pretty smart screenplay in that regard and in the way that it kind of folds in like the w- tropes of weddings in terms of like, the gifts you get and like the promises you make to various family members and how that like comes unraveled in the course of this kind of terrorist uh, takeover. Um, Jennifer Lopez and Josh Duhamel are really good. Um, this film's kind of semi-infamous for having Army Hammer cast in it before yeah. he got, uh, you know, canceled is almost too small a word for like yeah. the allegations against Army Hammer. Before, yeah, he was rightly ousted from the industry. Okay, I don't follow these things, so I don't really know. Other than cannibal jokes, I don't really know what he yeah, did. Yeah, that's all I. That's all I remember. Yeah. Uh, there was like allegations of overt abuse. Oh, okay. oh wow. Okay. Um. Anyway, so yeah, he got kicked out and I'm glad that he did as much as I like Kevin as an actor I think Josh Duhamel is a more interesting fit for this kind of role mm-hmm. where he's like kind of playing the more needy groomzilla um, to Jennifer Lopez's kind of like freewheeling um, bride I-, I think like not only for what we know now know about Army Hammer but he can come across as too intense on screen sometimes and like yeah. there's an energy to Josh Duhamel where he seems like he should be like a breezy guy and kind of like easy going yeah. but when he play, he's playing like kind of needy and neurotic it ends up yeah. being like a good counterbalance to his screen persona are I there remember, I remember really liking him in uh, Love, Simon oh um, yeah I totally forgot he was in that like yeah. a movie that I think is fine yeah, yeah. but like but uh, Simon's parents I, I like both of them and I think he really does i mean i think his performance 
is extremely accurate. Yeah. Having not experienced this kind of thing, but like he's someone who wants to be supportive, but like this is just not how he pictured right being yeah, a parent. Okay. And I thought it was uh, I thought it was great. Yeah, and similarly here, he's like aware that he's being too controlling, but also can't help but give into his tendencies. Yeah. So it's a good kind of balance for him to play. Are there are there remnants in the screenplay still of the age gap that would have been? Uh, yeah, I don't think so, but I also think it's like. Frankly, Jennifer Lopez looks so good that they probably could have just gotten away with it. <laughs> right. I feel like uh, oh, with Ar- Armie, because like Army Hammer could read old. Yeah, I still always he, he, he did it in J. Edgar, um, but <laughs> yeah, that was well, makeup yeah. assisted. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's just that was that would have been intriguing. The May December yeah. like uh, <laughs> idea of, but Josh Duhamel is only a few years younger than Jennifer yeah. Lopez, so as opposed to 15, 20 yeah. years long younger like Army Hammer is. Yeah, so either they wrote that part out or just never had it to begin with. Um, well, I, I'm I'm. I want to see this movie too because I did I watch. I watched. This is me now. Uh, oh yeah, I'm very intrigued by that. Yeah, and uh, I mean it's it's batshit in a lot of ways that are that are good. But one thing it reaffirmed to me among uh, above all else is that Jennifer Lopez is a movie star. Oh yeah, and uh, the camera loves her, and and she has uh, just charm to spare on on camera. And so uh, yeah, Shotgun Wedding was definitely when that trailer was out. Uh, it was on my radar too, but yeah, same thing. I heard heard nothing but bad things, so I guess I'll. Yeah, I'll I don't I'll know what to say. Out. Yeah, it was including for people who like usually are into rom coms. So I was like, oh, it must be terrible, but no, it, I'm done. It's a blast. All right, so I am okay again. Once again, to reestablish my rules nah, for eligibility, a movie has to have premiered in 2023, and it has to have been released in the u.s before we do our top 10 um so this movie didn't get released in the u.s until uh early this year in fact i almost i'm gonna already do a little bit of an honorable mention here uh in that i if it weren't for the fact that it's nominated for an oscar i would have called out Matteo garone's io capitano here Hmm. but it's out this weekend hopefully it'll get some more um, it's it's still very few reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, so hopefully to get some more attention. I worry that uh, to to take sort of Scott's position on what's through the cracks, I do worry that among my like coterie of cinephiles, people might have given up on Matteo Garone because I understand that people don't like some of his movies, and I understand why they're very heavy-handed. Um, uh, but uh, I, I, I think even the people who have maybe uh, who don't like Matteo Grone's movies would like Ayo Capitano. It's not that it's not heavy-handed, but it is not as punishing as his other movies. So that's aside. Now I'm going to talk about a movie that just came out earlier this year, and I had the director's name pulled up, and I can't remember it now because it's he's a, he's a first-time director. It's uh, an Italian guy. The movie is called Disco Boy. Um, it stars Franz Rogowski from uh, this year's uh, Passages. The director's name is uh, Giacomo Abrazzetti. Um It's his directorial debut. Uh, Franz Rogowski plays a pole in this movie who um, uh, migrates or it, it migrates into into France. Um, or no, he's not a pole because that's in the EU. He's a Belarusian. That's what it is. And he comes through Poland and then eventually makes it to France. So he's 
immigrating into the EU illegally, and he gets caught in France. And I guess I didn't know this, but I, um, I guess uh, if, I'm, if this movie is to be believed, France offers a pathway to citizenship to illegal immigrants through military service. So he joins the French Legion. Uh, the movie also has a completely separate story about a Nigerian, um, I guess, revolutionary, you might call him, or, or, or like, an activist is too soft a word because he's a violent, like, gun-toting activist, but he's still, like, a um, uh, fighting for independence uh, in uh, the Niger Delta, and... Um, the two move, the two storylines do eventually come together because, like I said, he's in the Foreign Legion, so he gets posted to uh, that part of Africa, and, and their their stories kind of collide. But um, uh, I think there's an overt political like through line here about two different people trying to establish their own independence in the ways that they see available to them, even though they are extra legal in both. Uh, in both cases um, but the movie isn't just you know uh, what's what I'm looking for it's not um, shrill it's not like didactic or whatever it's um, it's very dreamlike it's very hypnotic there's a lot of um, collage in the editing and there's a lot of psychedelia that that, that comes into to the there there uh, are you know, there's stories, but there's also just long scenes of stuff, psychedelic type stuff happening. But it's another amazing performance from Franz Zagowski. It's a strikingly assured debut for a director. Like, I mean, his control over the uh, the, the the movies for momentum, um, even when it, even though it has these, like I'm saying, it has these like chapters that are kind of meandering. It still has a forward momentum uh, to it. Um, the uh, the the title comes from one conversation that the Nigerian character has with his friend when he's like, what you know, he's basically like, what would our lives be if we were born in Europe? And he says, I'd like to dance in a nightclub, be a disco boy. <laughs> um, but that like, it is just that's one line. But I think by the end, you can kind of see how that sort of dream and um, and and uh, the vagaries of different opportunities based on where you happen to have been born or where you happen to have ended up um, really do uh, play into the whole movie. So yeah, uh, Disco Boy. Uh, check it out. Okay, so uh, my first one is the is absolutely the first one I thought of for this, and I mentioned it last week actually um, in the uh, lead actress category, um, and it is Rain Allen Miller's Rye Lane, um, which, I mean, there are some people talking about it, but uh, as is the case with anything that is, I don't remember if this got any kind of theatrical release. I don't think it did. Um, I think it might have hit, like, Lemley's and stuff. Yeah, because, like... Did it? Yeah, I watched it on Hulu. Right. I feel like, first and foremost, it's, it's a Hulu movie more than anything. And so those movies, if they do get some kind of... Uh, you know, some kind of conversation around them. It tends to go away pretty quick. Um, and I went into this movie not really knowing what to expect. It seemed like a very charming little movie, and uh, and, and it is that, but it's it's so much more. Uh, I think it's, uh, as far as 
romantic comedies. It manages to be both of those wonderfully. Um, it is, it's often laugh out loud funny, um, often as a function of the supporting characters um, and just like ex-boyfriends and stuff like that. Uh, but our two leads also have such tremendous chemistry and I just love watching them together. I feel like, you know, the concept of on-screen chemistry is a little bit elusive. It's hard to know exactly what the formula is, um, but I do know that in a great romance, whether it be comedy or otherwise, there's just something satisfying to the viewer about seeing these people together. And so, like, if they are apart, you're like, eh, I, I like it better when they're together. And so, um, and that's definitely how it is uh, with these two. And what I like about it, and I said this last week, is that for a moment there, it kind of feels like, oh, this guy's going to be a sad sack whose spirits are raised by this manic pixie dream girl. And so, like, within that, it's like, well, it's a, it, it seemed to be a, a good version of that, but then I'm glad that they eventually uh, got rid of that and showed that she is a fully three-dimensional character as well and that she's not out to save anybody um, and that she has her own issues that need to be dealt with. And I feel like the two of them uh, bring a lot of weight, but bring also a great deal of lightness to the relationship. And, you know, in the, in the film... I mean, it is firmly a, uh, a romantic comedy, including, like, the grand gestures mm. and stuff like that. And uh, I feel like some people might roll their eyes at that. But just because a movie, you know, falls into certain tropes that I think people might feel they're tired of, uh, there's always a good example of that. And I think this is, and I, I really loved it. And I think, I think almost anybody that sees it would probably enjoy it. All right. Uh, I guess you're... Or I'm counting down, so this is your number four? Are you, going, are you guys counting down? No, or I guess is I this... didn't really rate oh, these. I, yeah, me either. Oh, okay. Well, okay. <laughs> um, but my next pick, anyway, um, is Anne Oren's uh, Piaf. Hey, I saw this. Nice. Um, I saw it with you. Yeah. What, what's that? I saw it with you. Did we see it together? At AFI Fest, yeah. I remember I saw it at AFI Fest. I didn't remember you being there. You're not a very memorable person. Dude. No, I, I tend to, to keep to myself. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, this um, is DP Feature by Anne Oren, who I think is like a visual artist in some capacity. Um, and the film is definitely very visual artist coded. Um, it's about a woman whose uh, sibling um, suffers a nervous breakdown, and then this woman, Eva, has to take over her job as a Foley artist, creating sound effects for um, a video piece that we don't understand at first what it is, but come to realize is like a pharmaceutical commercial and just has all these kind of like disassociated shots of like horses galloping and like people running in fields and like all those things that you see in uh, pharmaceutical commercials. And so she's like hopelessly trying to recreate the sounds that horses make on screen in very uh, extended, very funny sequences of like jangling little chains in her mouth and like clomping I don't think they're like coconut hooves, but like that kind of thing on, yeah. on sand and stuff like that. And it's funny just to watch her struggle doing that. And then the more, the better she gets at it, she slowly starts to grow a horse tail out of um, her rear. Um, and that whole process is kind of like an extended metaphor for her kind of awakening sexually and kind of, like I said, very performance artist coded. Um, 
but the film has such a great visual sense to it. It's shot on 16 millimeter, and some of the scenes literally end when the film like runs out of the magazine, and so it has all these kind of like abstract um, cellular effects in it. And um, yeah, I just I dig me a kind of loose, very artsy, um, sexy kind of movie, and this film is absolutely that. Um, I know it's available on streaming now, so it, it's out there. But yeah, um, between, I think, the strangeness of its premise, the slightness of its conceit, and just its brief running time, it never really caught on the way that uh, I would have liked for a culture that's often saying we don't have enough colorful, sexy movies. Um, this, this absolutely is that. Um, so yeah, be off. Yeah, I, I really liked it too for the reasons you, uh, you said. There is also, there's some overt comedy in it. Oh, yeah. Like, the... The director of the commercial is uh, yeah, I mean, hilarious. I was trying to think of like who he reminds me of. It's like a, some kind of SNL character because he has like this like very like bowl cut, bleach blonde hair. <laughs> right, right, yeah. I was trying to figure out like what that's reminding me of, but yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, there's also like comedy of discomfort, like yeah. watching her put like the horse bit in her mouth and like rattle it around. Is like this is like funny, but also like awkward and also like sexy at the same time like it's all of these it's yeah i really i really like that movie Uh, i was in a super bad mood when we saw it though oh no because i don't this is afi fest 2022 yeah it was a while ago uh when i had my apparently everyone who bought the pass like misunderstood how the pass worked (laughs) and so i had to argue my way into that movie yeah um so uh uh yeah but i guess it did cheer me up a little bit uh okay uh, next up for me, the first of three documentaries, as I said. And this one kind of surprised me that it fell through the cracks with certain audiences because it's among, like, the world cinema art house crowd. It's directed by a, someone I would consider a pretty big name, uh, but not usually a documentarian. I'm talking about Kleberman Donsafilo's Pictures of Ghosts. Um, Part this, of it is that it, like, just came out. <laughs> did it? Yeah. So See, far, all your through the cracks haven't had a chance to rise above the cracks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's going to keep happening, too, actually. Um, wait, when did it come out? I feel like it came out at the end of last year. It's, like, year. in theaters right now. Hold on. Hold on. It might have had, like, a qualifying run or something, but I Yeah, know, maybe that's what I was thinking, that it had a qualifying run. And I know it just started playing, or maybe last week played at the Cinematheque. Um, let's see. Is Pictures of Ghosts currently in the theater in Los Angeles? No, there's no screenings right now in Los Angeles. Okay, then they must have just passed by because, okay. it, yeah, it was literally just out. Uh, well, anyway, <laughs> for people in the other parts of the country where it maybe hasn't even come out yet. Thus, not having a chance to fall through the cracks. But now, see, <laughs> the point of this, or, or the benefit of this episode is now people can know to okay. be on the lookout for it. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, it's fine with me. Okay, so pictures. Hey, you do you. Pictures of ghosts I'm still is. Not gonna give you shit about it. It's a, a documentary, but it's also kind of a personal, like a memoir, personal essay type of documentary. Um, I brought it up actually when we did our Terrence Davies episode because it um, uh, it reminds me of Terrence Davies of Time in the City. Uh, this is specifically uh, Claverman don't feel a, um, going to the neighborhood where he grew up and revisiting uh, the movie palaces that he used to go to, the places you see movies, but also like the places where he used to live, and the, which are also the places where he shot his 
movies. His uh, the his his mother's apartment that he was very proud of is the apartment from Neighboring Sounds and from Aquarella, not Aquarella, um, uh, Aquarius. Sorry, Aquarella is a, a Russian documentary. Um, and so you see lots of clips from Neighboring Sounds and and Aquarius, uh, but. It also it, the the whole thing has a kind of elegiac tone to it because these the the he doesn't own the apartment anymore and those movie houses are all closed now. There's other other things in their in their place, but it doesn't feel like a sort of cranky old school death of cinema type of thing. It feels kind of more like how like it reminded me more of Babylon, where it's like. The point of the 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 argument of Babylon is that cinema is always dying and uh, simultaneously always being reborn. So this feels like kind of a mile marker on the in in the history of cinema, the history of Brazilian cinema, the career of Cleber Mendonça Filho, um, but also not. Um, it's it's technically backwards looking, but it doesn't feel stubbornly backwards looking. It still feels like there's hope for the future. So a lovely little movie that I guess you can apparently watch like right now, according to Scott. I, I just checked it, played at the Limley Glendale. It opened on February 2nd, so it's probably just finished its run a couple weeks okay. ago. Okay, well that's the same day that Disco Boy opened, so big weekend for <laughs> movie. But that means that movie has, it's had a month, <laughs> almost, and the no reviews ones. are still very light. Very, that's kind of how I decide what's fallen through the cracks as I look at literally just how many reviews there are on Rotten Tomatoes to yeah. see uh, if oh, people yeah. are paying attention to I mean, it. Opening an art house movie in January, February, and everyone's doing their year end stuff. It's yeah. Death trap. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember uh, my documentary from a few years ago, uh, Real Redemption. It is currently oh, sitting. It's currently sitting at a cool 100% Rotten Tomatoes yeah. with the requisite five reviews. Nice. Um, I have a feeling if anyone else watched it, it would drop pretty quick. Um, but yeah, like, and when I was watching, when I looked at uh, Jeepers Creepers Reborn, and it was at 0%, I also saw it's like, well, it's only 16 reviews. And then I thought, yeah, but let's say 80 more people reviewed it. I somehow <laughs> doubt it's going to skyrocket in its <laughs> ratings. But uh, anyway, okay. So uh, a, common, uh, a common conversation that film people have been having for the last several years at this point uh, is how, how few uh, comedies are made, um, just straight-up comedies. Like, there will be drama, there will be drama with comedy in it or action with like some funny asides or whatever it is um but there aren't that many straightforward comedies and even fewer just super silly comedies i think it's one of the reasons that we all liked uh barb and star go to vista del mar is like it just well, it was most so, of us well most of us some people <laughs> just don't like to laugh it's true <laughs> but the uh, but just like willing to be unabashedly ridiculous is something I always enjoy. Um, and so I watched, don't judge me, I watched Please Don't Destroy the Treasure of Foggy Mountain. <laughs> now, I actually had never seen anything uh, by these guys. Um, they do a sketch, uh, like a pre-taped sketch every week on SNL. I had heard of them, but I had never seen any of their stuff. Um, 
but I saw the, the trailer on uh, Peacock where it's uh, available and it looked kind of funny to me and I think I had come off of a particularly depressing run of, uh, of movies and I was like I'm in the mood for something light and let's see how this goes and as often happens with uh, these types of comedies uh, it's hit or miss I do think this one hits I think it hits way more than it misses uh, it is absurd and silly and but also extremely lighthearted and good-natured at the same time um, some of the jokes again as is common with with movies like this or like wet hot american summer or whatever uh some of the jokes are just just completely random like uh the three characters work at a at a bass pro shop type of mm -hmm. store and so uh one of them is uh showing off like one of the bird calls and when he blows into it it basically makes the sound of like that uh that creepy bear creature from annihilation <laughs> and uh and just stuff like that. So it's like minor gags like that, entire storylines, entire relationships. Uh, and it's just very much my kind of thing. Um, as I've, I, I went back and watched um, all of their um, SNL sketches and I, I like their sensibilities a lot. Um, and so, you know, someone's in the mood for just like a goofy, silly, ridiculous comedy that is occasionally surreal. Uh, I highly recommend Please Don't Destroy the Treasure of Foggy Mountain. Right on. Yeah, I was definitely intrigued by it. Um, yeah. I think I ultimately didn't see it because it's on Peacock. Because it's one of the services I don't subscribe to. And oh, okay. My eternal war against streaming exclusivity is uh, yeah. sometimes rears its ugly head. All right. How, how are you going to watch Poker Face? I don't watch Poker Face. It is good. Problem solved. Pretty great. <laughs> they don't want me to watch it. Like, make your shit available. I don't know what to tell you. Um, alright. My next pick is also a silly comedy. Um, it is Sebastian Silva's Rotting in the Sun. Um, this was definitely the closest to, like, I don't know this really fell through the cracks, but I, I, at the same time, I didn't see a ton of people really talking about it, so... I was very curious about it. I think you would dig it. Yeah. Um... I, but I don't... I was gonna say, it might be tough to watch here. Yeah, given your position yeah. here, it might be... Given the, you know the what? rampant number of penises in the film. You and unsimulated gay yeah. sex, yeah. Oh, unsimulated. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy, okay. That might be hard to justify. <laughs> like, I've, I've gotten to the point where people know what to expect when yeah. they come in here. <laughs> like but it's, not, like it's someone, not dicks. People don't, I don't know if people know, know to expect dicks. Someone was giving me, uh, someone was uh, giving me lunch. And I was like, let's watch Saltburn. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> uh, not knowing just how far it was going to go. Nice. And there's a lot of dick there at the end. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Yeah, it's, but 2023 has been a big year for dicks yeah. in the movies. They're really coming back. What do we got? We got Saltburn. We got... Well, I mean, Riding the Sun yeah. accounts on its own for like five years worth of dicks. Yeah. Um, there's a movie called Dicks. Yeah, yeah there was Dicks the Musical. It yeah. did not look very good to me, honestly. It's all right. Okay. Um, anyway, so yeah, yeah Rotting in the Sun, um, Sebastian Silva plays himself, he wrote and directed the film, um, and he plays just exactly what he is, he's a filmmaker, and uh, when we meet him in the film, he's uh, really down, um, and can't find like a road forward with any projects, he takes a vacation to a nude beach, um, where he meets uh, 
social media kind of he's been called an influencer but it's more like a social media comedian um named jordan firstman who is an actual um american social media comedian he also um, jordan firstman also has like real writing credits too he wrote for uh, the other two he wrote for big right. mouth he's like oh. he's not just a but that is tiktok I, guy but that's i i think it's genuinely true that that is where he has his most yeah. of his fame from yeah yeah um, if I don't, I don't know income-wise how that all shakes up. You know, hopefully HBO Max pays a little bit more than uh, TikTok deals, but I don't know. Yeah, um, <laughs> probably not. Probably not. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, meets this guy Jordan Firstman on a beach who uh, is like, oh man, I just saw the movie you made with Michael Sarah last night. We should work on something together. And he's relentlessly annoying, and Sebastian Silva just hates everything that he represents and his entire personality, and like really tries to push him away. But um, then, like, a day or two later, he's pitching ideas to HBO, and he's like, well, I, and none of the ideas he has are kind of going over, and he's like, well, I had this idea with this guy Jordan Firstman. They're like, oh, my God, you know Jordan Firstman? We would make that show in a second. And so then he tries to rope Jordan Firstman back in. Um, giving away where the plot goes from there would probably be saying too much, yeah. um, other than to say that it keeps going in very unexpected directions and is so relentlessly fun and this was we talked about this in the bp's episode that we did for the patreon i submitted this as the best editing choice because the way that it keeps cutting back into things we've seen prior that have happened prior in the movie um are kind of like great insights into everyone's anxiety levels throughout the film um and yeah i i kind of talked myself into a corner here because i don't know what much else to say about other than to say that it's really inventive and really funny and um has a lot of dicks in it, but not none of the sex is like sexy. It's no. all it's all very silly and okay. like adds to the kind of uh, debauchery that the film is kind of existing in. Um, and Sebastian Silva, to his credit, doesn't come across looking any better than Jordan Firstman does. He's just kind of like very caustically observing the entire situation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's available on Mubi. Really, really highly recommended if you can hang with there being so many dicks. Yeah, hey, I I loved this. Um, yeah, hang good one. Yeah. <laughs> I loved this movie too. Um, uh, reportedly the origin of the movie is very similar to the beginning yeah. of the movie that Jordan Firstman wanted to work with Sebastian Silva and Sebastian Silva found him very annoying and then realized like oh maybe that's a story like yeah. me is the cranky depressive and him is the like uh, you know Instagram guy but uh, yeah without talking too much about where the story goes because it does take a, a, a left turn that's um, uh, would be a spoiler um Sebastian Silva's housekeeper is played by an actress named Catalina she's Saavedra, so and she's fantastic. She, as the movie goes on, she plays a bigger and bigger role, um, and she's actually on my mind because just last night I attended a press screening of Julio Torres's Problemista, and she plays uh, his mother in that, um, which couldn't be a more different character. She's she's almost more like Sebastian Silva. She's an artist who yeah. lives in a big house and probably has her own uh, uh, housekeeper. Um, uh, yeah, so yeah, she's great. The movie's great. Uh, very, very tense yeah. in a lot of ways. And a lot of that is both, yeah, the storyline is tense, but the, the editing, as you pointed out, and the cinematography add to that, like, it's it's all just so relentless. Yeah, manic nature. Yeah. All right. What's up next for me? Oh, get ready to criticize me again, Scott. Though I still think <laughs> that my approach to this works. Okay. Because I still think... A movie having come out more recently doesn't mean, like, 
I can still gauge how limited a release this got, and to me that already means it's through the cracks. But this is... Uh, there could be a chance for it to be revived over the course of the year when people are seeing the movie. Um, and hopefully <laughs> this podcast will uh, play a part in that, you know? Um, so this is what we got to talk about that is the uh, narrative de- debut from a documentarian. The director's name is Rosina Mfetko Mbakum, and the movie is called Mambar Pierrette. Um, I saw this at at TIFF. It was one of my most anticipated at TIFF, and ended up being one of my. I mean, it was. A, I, had a, I had a great TIFF. I saw a lot of movies there, great movies there. But uh, this is a fantastic m- movie. Um, uh, so Mbakum, as a director, has always like um, she's Cameroonian, and she has uh, documented uh, Cameroonians either in Cameroon or, or abroad. Uh, this movie takes place in the largest city in Cameroon, which I've already forgotten the name of. Uh, oh, Douala, I have it right here. Um, and uh, the title character, Pierrette, um, this is another one kind of like Disco Boy that um, tells a character-driven story but also has a clear like um, political interest in the lives of the uh, people um, at the bottom of the economic ladder or in this case um, an entire country that is um, has, has never been able to fully right itself after the debilitating effects of colonialism and stuff like that uh, so Pierrette is a woman who lives in a small neighborhood in this big city and she uh, makes her money by making dresses um, or making other clothes for her neighbors. She like has a little workshop that she r- runs out, out of and um, the uh, movie uh, takes place right, right before the school year which is her big she's making everyone's school uniforms and everything that's her big thing um, and then some predatory people who know that this is her big time, uh, assault her and rob her uh, of all the money she made from all the... So it has a very Bicycle Thieves type of uh, mm-hmm. uh, plot to it, but it's also like almost like Job-like, and that, that's not the only thing that goes wrong. Her mother's dying, and then there's rains, and her house floods, and like all of this, uh, these terrible things all happen at one time. Her sewing machine breaks. Uh, um, uh, but I, I think in Bacham's documentarian I uh, is what what makes the movie so um, not feel like it's overwrought by having all of these things happen. It doesn't. It is like I think on the page it technically is melodrama, but it doesn't feel like melodrama. It feels like like documentary, documentary almost. There are lots of long shots of her just like sewing and uh, and stuff like that, and um, just the uh, uh, it's a it's a beautiful uh, performance from oh what's her name or yeah her name is Pierrette this often happens with non-professional actors they just they name the character after the I wonder is that insulting like we don't think you can get that the character has a different name than you Uh, so Pierrette Abohe Njutat I don't know if I have that right Um, uh, fantastically subtle performance for a for what I uh, for a non-professional there's the entire cast is non-professionals with the exception of there's one uh character in the movie who is like a he's literally a clown who like entertains the neighborhood children and he's the only one who's a professional actor in the entire movie 
uh, so yeah, Membar Pirat, which uh, if you're in, if you happen to be in Los Angeles and you're free, this Thursday is, wait, what's the 28th? Wednesday? Wednesday the 28th. It is, uh, Acropolis is presenting one screening at the, Lemley, the aforementioned Lemley Glendale. So uh, you can go see it then. It, it already played in New York. I don't think it's gotten a real release in Los Angeles other than this one, t- one night this coming Wednesday, but uh, it's really great. Any, any thoughts? Oh, you know my thoughts. <laughs> Which is that it hasn't had a chance yeah, to fall through the cracks? There's, there's, oh. no, there's no cracks. I feel like with, with a movie like Membar Pierret or Pictures of Ghosts, they're not going to be word-of-mouth movies. They have to, like, you kind of know before they come out what the buzz is, because they've already played all the festivals. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but so, the, there's a culture beyond festivals, David. Down here at the streets, not like your ivory towers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're but, all engaging uh, with the cinema. Can you a different think of a movie, line. then, um, that has not... not... Uh, not done poorly, but like not gotten a lot of festival buzz. A movie like like this, a, a, a world cinema type movie, not gotten a lot of festival buzz, but then come out and become a big deal. I mean, but in any of these movies, like at this kind of level, are only going to become so big a deal. I definitely think this past year we talked about on the uh, one Patreon episode, the movie Unrest. You remember um, that I hadn't heard of at all and played tons of festivals, and then ended up on the New York, uh, or sorry, the film comment top, top ten list. Um, and just like things just gather steam in unpredictable ways. Yeah, well, maybe maybe you're right, but uh, I think as far as my interpretation of this episode, <laughs> these movies count, and um, hopefully I can get people to go see them. Sure. Right. I, the way I see it, these are 2023 movies, and whether they just... By some definitions. What was that? Well, because they haven't been well, out of the yeah. States till now. Yeah, so. for, for all intents and purposes. But, um, and... Whether they just haven't had the chance to gain to gather steam, um, or just they never really did. Uh, like the point of the of this episode is to try and give them a little push one way or the other, and so that's what David's doing. And it doesn't matter what I think about it. Um, but so I'm all alone on this island then. I, I'm 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 genuinely in the middle. Um, so whatever you want to do is fine with me. Um, Okay. So, oh, by the way, that whole thing about someone now recognizing their character names, so they have to change it to their first names. Like, yeah. I can't help but think of um, that Simpsons episode where they're going to go into uh, uh, witness, witness protection. protection yeah. And they keep calling Homer by his fake name, and he just stares at them. And then finally he leans to the guy next to him and goes, I think he's talking to you. <laughs> but, um... Okay, so next for me, and here's the thing. I do not remember if I talked about this because we did an episode about my five favorite movies of the year so far, and I think we did it in the summer, yes? Yeah, that's right, yeah. All right, yeah. And I don't remember if this movie was on that list. Let's find out. Uh, longest third date? Oh, I think that was on the list. Was it? Your okay. memory. Um, I, I could be wrong, though. I definitely know I've heard you talk about it multiple times. Right. I mean, you won't shut up about it. Yeah, well, it's it's a special movie. Um, well, it, in case I did, I'll talk about it again now. But I'll try. I'll just kind of zoom through it. So basically, it's a documentary about uh, this this uh, these two New Yorkers who meet via um, 
like a dating app and they go on a couple of dates and uh, seem to be enjoying themselves. And one thing that they both say is that, oh, we're very, we're very adventurous. And so the guy then invites her on an unconventional third date where they're going to spend the weekend in Costa Rica. So they fly out to Costa Rica uh, on March 18th, 2020. And while they're there, uh, everything shuts down and they're unable to get back home. So they spend, I want to say, in the area of three months, two and a half months in Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like, they still basically are strangers. And now they're just stuck with each other because they certainly don't want to go their separate ways in a, in a country they're unfamiliar with. And so the story itself is kind of fun. Here's why I think it's special is that the guy, um, before any of this happened, like, has been trying to become kind of a YouTube personality. So he films everything. I know. (laughs) Poor Um, this poor woman. (laughs) He he films everything in his life. Um, He doesn't put everything up there, but he's filming everything. And so, uh, so he brought his camera along and for a while he was just documenting this unconventional third date. And then suddenly it becomes a documentary of this like harrowing event um and it also documents this idea of like well we spent all this time together we seem to like each other romantically and otherwise um do we do we try to stay together once we're um outside of this or is this such just such a fluke that comes about purely like without anyone really choosing it Like, nobody knows if they would have gone on a fourth date. Um, So just out of necessity, uh, they wound up being with each other, but they did like each other. And so just questioning, like, this is so unusual. Where do we go from here? And you could see the argument made for either one. Obviously, as the viewer, you kind of want them to stay together because it's a happy ending. But you also recognize, like, nothing about this is is normal or conventional and i don't know it just i like the way it's made because yes there are interviews afterwards but a lot i mean almost all of it is just the footage that he shot and i always like that i always i always like uh, a documentary with like a feeling of immediacy mm-hmm. um as opposed to purely like like talking heads retrospective kind of thing um and so it is that with some interviews to kind of add context but uh but yeah it's really good and i think it in its own way kind of explores like the nature of relationships specifically at the beginning and like all the different circumstances that can lead to people bonding and uh i mean in in many ways you could see it as just like uh, a nice diversion like a fun little trifle but i definitely like it has stayed with me this whole time um and uh, I think it's pretty solid. I think it's on Netflix. Um, my observation here is that they flew out on March 18th, 2020. I think to, so. They're kind of asking for it. Yeah. Like, we yeah. were already working from home at that point. <laughs> like, yeah. we very much knew what was about COVID by March right. 18th. But, which like, then gives me, my, the cynic in me is like, was sure. this, was this like kind of something they were manufacturing? That I don't. I don't think so, because the fact is, they left on the 18th, 
they're going to come back the 20th or the 21st. So, like, flights were still going out mm. at this point. And so, yeah. Um, and, of course, you see the airport, and it's basically a ghost town. And so yeah. that's why the, uh, why the rate is so low. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I guess they could have... I guess they could have devised this beforehand, but that is not really the vibe I get. Yeah, I haven't seen the movie. I was just seeing, you know, a, a, they would have to be really, really good actors in that footage and be <laughs> right. on all the time, basically. Yeah, but yeah, but it's it's fun and and a little bit poignant, and I I really enjoyed it. All right, um, my next pick. So we've talked. You guys had a whole episode about like pet themes mm-hmm. oh, yeah. uh, but uh, separate from pet themes they're all they're like pet indicators of like you hear something about a movie and you're like that sounds up my alley for sure yeah. um and sometimes that can come in the form of even negative buzz and so uh when whenever i hear that there is a messy but earnest romantic movie i um am very intrigued and that was certainly the buzz surrounding rebecca miller's she came to me now, in addition to that, when I heard that there was a movie in which Peter Dinklage plays a frustrated opera composer married to a neurotic psychiatrist played by Anne Hathaway, who uh, and he's pursuing an affair with a tugboat captain played by Marissa Tomei, <laughs> I was like, there is a 0% chance I will not enjoy this movie. Yeah. Um, and sure enough, I was right. Uh, the movie rocks really hard and is like definitely messy but and way overambitious. And all the things people said about it are true. I just don't think those things are bad necessarily, especially when the cast is this good. It's honestly probably my favorite Peter Dinklage performance. Um, I haven't seen any, any of your Games of Thrones. Um, I do not know of those things, but um, he's really good and really soulful while also being open to being a little ridiculous as this kind of like screwball farce kind of adds up. Um, the whole cast is very good. Uh, Joanna Kulig is also in it um, from Cold War. Um, and yeah, and it, in addition to that, it's got a really adventurous kind of cinematography. They filmed the um, opera sequences in kind of like full frame with very like elaborate sets and stuff like that. Um, and or maybe I, I can't remember how they shake up the aspect ratio, but it's less didactic than even that. Um, but um, the yeah, the whole com- the comedy of it really works. The performances are all really good. And they, in addition to all that, they like wrote full-on operas that they perform in the film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all original operas because you know he writes an opera about being in love with a tugboat captain. Those don't exist right now, so they needed to make their own. Um, so yeah, it's really adventurous, really fun, and I was pretty pretty swept away by it. Do you think maybe that was the the director's impetus to make the movie? Is he was like, there's not enough operas about tugboat captains. <laughs> well, she. Mo- I, oh yeah, yeah sorry. Uh, I should I should make something about that. It's about because time. Because it's a travesty. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I definitely can't argue with your pick and the way you argue with mine because that definitely did fall through the cracks. Because um, I like Rebecca Miller and I forgot. I com- this movie completely passed me by. Uh, but I it's should check one it out. I keep. It's one I keep going past. Yeah. Like as I'm as I'm looking for stuff, and every time it's like I don't know. I think I might like it. I think I, you would. But then I see that. It was negatively reviewed, and and it's like, well, should I watch that or something that yeah. may have gotten positive reviews? But at the same time, like there are movies that I 
really like, if not love, that for whatever reason just were not positively reviewed. Yeah. On the whole. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I like uh, Rebecca Miller's movies for the most part. I didn't see Pippa Lee. I think I've only seen Maggie's Plan, which I was more mixed on, but yeah, has, I like, has a lot of pleasures to it. I, yeah, I like Maggie's Plan. But uh, her real undersung one is The Ballad of Jack and Rose um, with Daniel oh, Day-Lewis and, and Camilla Bell, um, which would come up if we ever did the episode we'll never do that I always talk about movies about incest. <laughs> <laughs> I would do that episode. Yeah. Um, although, I mean, Ballad of Jack and Rose, it's not... It's, it's it's incest coded. It's not necessarily right. an incest movie, but it's okay. just like the atmosphere is a little charged there. Okay. Um, Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. I want to do that episode. All right. Um, all right. Hopefully, Scott will stop beating up on me here because my next two movies both came out in November of 2023. All right. But what if they're just bad? What if I just hate them? Well, no, I, I know you don't hate okay. this one because you, you also remind me if it was in your top 10 honorable mentions, but it's Luke Marenson's. Uh, a still small voice. Honorable mentions. Honorable Very mentions. close to top ten. Yeah. So um, this is a, a documentary about a woman who is enrolled at a program at a hospital. Now I can't remember where the hospital is. New York City. I think it's New York. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where she is a sort of a chaplain in training, I guess. Basically, yeah. Um, it's like a internship program kind of thing. Like it's designed to be a short term thing of like six months. It's yeah. More like a, I guess a residency. They may even call it that. So there's there's a guy who runs the program, and he's a pastor of some sort. Yeah. I don't, they don't say exactly what his denomination is. Um, but the chaplain program is non-denominational because she's Jewish. And um, uh, I think the there's a log line for this movie that would make you think that you know what it is. Uh, but the movie is more about this person than it is about this program right like um i mean it does explore the politics of the program though anyway uh but not, i mean there aren't the the scenes there are group meetings and one-on-one -on -one meetings with the pastor but it's really to me it's about this woman taking on this thing that um is important to her and feels like a calling to her but struggling with the to bear the load of yeah. it. Um, uh, and uh, I think the movie's fascinating. As as with uh, the director's previous movie, Midnight Family, um, it is not... Uh, it doesn't stand in judgment of her, but it also is not an endorsement of everything that she says or does or doesn't do. Um, she, there, are, there are definitely scenes in this movie where I think she comes off poorly, but also that could be my own, like, sure. uh, you know, um, Midwestern work ethic or whatever, you know? Um, uh, uh, th that, I'm, that I'm like, just just do the thing. Just do the thing you said you were going to do. Uh, and I like, I like that the movie leaves so much room for that, that it, it's not a movie that is um, a simple exercise in some sort of portraiture, um, uh, and it's not a movie that is hagiographic or like telling you how to feel about this person or, or whatever. There's there's a, a a complete openness and, and curiosity, which is exactly what I look for in most movies, but especially in documentaries. Yeah, I mean, I, I think 
to the movie's credit, I have a slightly different feeling on the, I don't want to say the character, but the film almost treats her like a character. Yeah. Um, on the subject, one, really the like whole program as a whole, which is like well-intentioned and clearly has a lot of benefit to the people they're, what would you say, like counseling? Um, but which seems almost inevitably designed to grind out the people who care the most. Um, because like her central failure is that she gives over too much of herself to it. And if she hadn't given so much of herself to it, she wouldn't have had so much difficulty with the bureaucracy of it. Um, and that's, I think, a really resonant thing that the film explores without, like, saying, being overly didactic about it. Um, but which also then reflects how much we see of the lead pastor's kind of experience, which I'm shocked they got the kind of footage they did of him, most of all, um, because it really opens him up to be this really vulnerable, very, um, I don't know, very insecure kind of guy mm -hmm. who's, like, not he comes across as very like sure of himself in like the group meetings but when he's one-on-one -on -one with his own advisor um it's a very different side of him yeah and that codes in turn the way that he's advising her um so yeah it's, it shows just how complicated the idea of something as simple as trying to be there for people who are suffering can be and then the scenes of her who with the patients in the hospital are so moving in so many different ways and partially because it's very clear and she'll even own up to this like before she goes into the session that sometimes she doesn't know how to counsel the people but like she still does amazing like if yeah. i was in their position i would feel so assured by what she's giving and like i said i think that's part of why i see the film as so much of a tragedy because she's so good at what she does but the system is just not set up to support her in that yeah there are a lot of jobs that i think about like that the word like they attract people who care but then caring yeah burns you out you yeah. know um like obviously you know, my wife's a social worker that's like obviously primed for that yeah. sort of uh thing i also think about like it's fucked up to me that there are people whose job it is to be 911 operators oh sure like i feel like that's something where like cops should have like a weekly shift where they have to answer 911 that that shouldn't be someone's whole job every day it's just to listen to people at the worst moment of their life that's yeah. got to be so and have limited ability to help them yeah yeah that's got to be the most taxing difficult thing i once read i also this is like awful stuff i once read um an article in gq that was written by a guy who spent like months if not years working for youtube and his entire job was to search for the worst stuff oh, to yeah. like flag it and get so like like oh, like ch child from child porn to the animal abuse like his job nine to five every day was to watch this stuff yeah insane oh man that's pretty rough yeah um so okay basically i had my primary three which i've gone through already and then i have a bunch of uh options here um sorry everyone you're gonna hear me say a number randomly one <laughs> here we go um it's tyler talking to his phone that's me talking to my phone um so the one that i'm inclined to talk about now that i think about it i don't know if it's actually through the cracks i don't know what how it did at the box office and I don't know how well received it was either. All right. All I know is it's a movie that I never thought I would be talking about on this episode. 
or any episode. <laughs> um, so I'm going to say it, and I'll leave it to you guys to say whether it should be a part of this episode, and then I can move on. Okay. Right. Uh, it is Eli Roth's Thanksgiving. I'm inclined to say it counts. David, your thoughts? Um, I mean, it... Yeah, I think my... Uh, I didn't see the movie, so it's hard for me to say. Right. I feel like it would be more of a candidate for an underrated slot than a Through the Cracks slot. Yeah. But anyway, that's my... That's my math, and I don't want to pull a Scott here and make you feel bad about your picks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I'll, I think I'll go with it just because, yeah. you know, I, I am, I pay a lot of attention to Twitter and part of a lot of movie discussions on Twitter, and this one just didn't really come up when it came out. Um, like in the horror community, obviously, it was a big deal because people have been waiting right. for it for sixteen years. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and I watched it just thinking like, man, eh, let's give this a shot. Uh, I am not an Eli Roth fan, really. Um, but boy, oh boy. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and I think the, the key behind it is just how heightened everything is. Yeah, like, yeah. Like there's a, uh, there's a Black Friday riot uh, at a store and and this is the opening scene this is the opening scene and everything about it is just so histrionic as one would expect but like the people are just like it's like you're watching uh, like the crazies or something Um, they're so (laughs) eager to get in this store and when they finally do there's like some sort of some final destination type deaths happening Um, and it's I mean, it's sad because some of them are characters that you like, but it's also hilarious. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, you know, then there's an investigate, and then someone basically is is getting revenge on who they felt was responsible for these deaths. And it's very, I know what you did last summer, combined with Scream. Oh, yeah. Because there's a whodunit element to it. I think the design... And a self-aware it, element. Yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um and I think the design of the killer is pretty good. Yeah. Um, it looks like a, like a pilgrim. Specifically, do you remember who it is? It's a specific pilgrim. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think, as I recall, I don't didn't like recognize the name of the pilgrim. It just became okay. iconic through the course of watching okay. the film. Yeah. Um, and so, and some of the deaths are fairly straightforward. But for the most part, they're all kind of creative and ridiculous and I will say there is oh my gosh there is one death I won't say what it is you'll know when you get there that is one of the most nightmarish things I've ever seen and that's uh, the uh, the wife yeah I kind of figured this oh my gosh like you know a lot of them are pretty pretty horrendous but that one is just so because I feel like there's a an anticipatory element, a psychological element, combined with the nature of the death itself. Yeah, and it's like, as with a lot of great movie deaths, it's like a basic feeling that you can sense, but then just like ratchet it up like a yeah. hundred times. It's just oh, horrendous. Um, but yeah, and and honestly, I feel like, I mean, one 
would assume this, but I don't think you'd be right to assume it. Um, it really leans into Thanksgiving. Oh, like, yeah. it's, it would have been easy to just have, like, all right, the guy is a pilgrim, and he kills people around Thanksgiving. But no, I mean, it's, it's totally about that. Like, there's parades. Um, it's about, you know, um, Black Friday, and then it starts earlier. Now it's starting to encroach on people's Thanksgiving. Like, everything people talk about in regards to Thanksgiving, um, whether it be traditions or complaints, um, uh, is in this movie. And so I feel like it's one of those movies that... Like, I remember when I saw... Freddy versus Jason, and someone said, "What'd you think?" And I said, "I'm pretty sure that is as that is as good as a movie about Freddy fighting Jason can be. <laughs> it has lived up to its potential, and I think Thanksgiving rings every bit of comedy, every bit of horror, every bit of the holiday out of this movie. Like, I don't think there's, I I, I didn't see really any wasted opportunities. Yeah, you know, and." Uh, and yeah, much to my surprise, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think horror people enjoy it. And I think non-horror people enjoy it as well. Yeah, one of the other cool things it taps into about Thanksgiving is... It, so the film like centers around this group of high schoolers. Yeah. Um, and one of their friends has been away for the past year and has just come back. Yeah. And it, it has that element of like... When people come back for the holidays after they've been, especially when you're in high school and the, like the kind of like high school college divide, yeah. and people like come back for the holidays and you're like, oh, it's the same person, but they've kind of changed. Yeah. And the way that this character's changed in particular really lends to some of the tension because he's one of the suspects who like yeah. could be doing the murders. And so it's like I like smart things like that that kind of identify a central human thing. Yeah. Don't really dwell on it, but use it for the purposes of the film. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, and I love the bit where the killer feeds the cat. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> yeah such a great touch it it is yeah it's uh i mean i guess it's in many ways it's absolutely an eli roth film oh yeah but i like it more than any other movies made you haven't seen too many of his but i guess um, i've only seen a few yeah but yeah okay scott what's your next one all right home stretch oh that's right stretch last pick um make it count uh charlotte lebon's debut feature falcon lake um, so Charlotte Lebon is a um, French Canadian actress who's been in like the Yves Saint Laurent movie. Um, she's been in a few movies that I have. Oh, she was like the girlfriend in The Walk, the Robert Zemeckis movie. Um, but uh, so yeah, had never really made a strong impression of me as an actress, and I hadn't really heard about this movie until I saw a trailer for it um, at the Lumiere here in Los Angeles. And was like, oh, this looks like a... The unofficial theater of Battleship Protection. I know. We mentioned it disproportionate. <laughs> yeah. Even disproportionate how often I'm there. But yeah, it's a great little theater. I was just there. I saw, I saw the new the Corneta monster. Oh, right on. I saw that there. Um, so yeah, uh, I was like, this looks like a cool kind of spooky movie. And it is a cool little spooky movie. It's um, about a uh, 13-year-old boy who um, is staying with his family at a friend's uh, lake cottage in Quebec. Um, where uh, they're kind of spending, I, I don't know if it's quite the summer, but a, a good stretch of time. They're Canadian. They have vacations. Um, and he kind of becomes reacquainted with um, their friend's teenage daughter, but um, she is a few years older than him. Um, and it gets in that great kind of thing of 
when you have family friends, you like have a certain degree of like you've grown up together, but you're usually separated for a period of time. You know, you, you see each other when you can. And so you have these associated memories, but each time you see them, they've undergone like significant changes. And in this case, the divide between being 13 and being 16 is like every possible uh, great difference you can imagine. Um, and especially that she's become not like sexually active, but more aware of herself sexually in a way that he's both attracted to, but also uncomfortable with. Um, and meanwhile, everyone's like telling these ghost stories about the lake and like all this folklore associated with the region um that could end up being true at any given moment there's all these kind of scenes you cut into that kind of have like a sense of tension or a sense of supernatural going on that's then slightly undercut but not in so overtly that you're like well this is definitely not happening but all of this kind of acts as a way of exploring just kind of the central terror of being 13 and being in love with somebody um which you know there's so many stories about like this kind of age group of just like oh these warm memories of kind of falling in love with somebody who you kind of have reciprocal feelings for but when i think back on that age it was just like constant terror at all times (laughs) just like fear i'd be found out um (laughs) fear that i'd be noticed too much um and the film is really, really sharp at exploring that and really moving. And yeah, it's gorgeously shot. Oh, and because it takes place in like kind of French Canada, has like a kind of cultural move where the main character boy doesn't speak French. He speaks like a little bit to get by, but not enough that he can really like ingratiate himself in this environment. So that also adds to a sort of remove in it. Um, so yeah, it's a really sharp debut feature. Probably the best debut feature I saw this past year. Um, and which, yeah, I never quite caught on, but I hope uh, people check it out. And I hope Charlotte Leblon keeps directing films because she's really, really good at it. Sounds great. Yeah. Um, all right. My final one. It's yet another documentary and it's yet another um, politically minded portrait of people um, in the lower economic rungs of society. Uh, I'm going to say the full name with the director. I hate that it rhymes. <laughs> Wang Bing's Youth Spring. <laughs> I've been having fun saying it in my head. <laughs> um, it's and that's uh, youth parentheses spring because it's the first in a trilogy. He spent oh, okay. he spent years living with these or like documenting documenting these kids. He had um, six camera people working in shifts, so they were like pretty much as long as these kids were awake, they had at least three cameras on them at all time. I say kids; they're most of them are in their twenties. They're they're. Uh, upper teens to early 30s um in the city of uh huzhou i think is how you say it in in china uh where there are they call them factories like these textile factories but really they're like what we would call sweatshops um but it's seasonal like young people come they live in like dormitories above the factory which are just the factories again are just like converted apartments that have rows and rows of sewing machines and stuff uh and they make clothes and they work uh they get paid based on not hourly get paid based on how much they make um and they so they work super long hours uh the film is i i mean i'm not just saying this because it's three and a half hours long it feels gargantuan to me it feels like a huge achievement and i can't wait to see the other two because um and, I, and i'm also surprised i guess at the lack of 
the relative lack of awards attention whereas like Manus Plaisirs is four hours is shorter than Manus <laughs> Plaisirs um, but that's getting uh, has gotten a lot of uh, awards I'm not sure um, this isn't any less repetitive because um, uh, there, there are a number of different again I'm using the word factories because that's how they refer to them in the movie um, and so the sections will follow one factory at a time for 30 or 40 minutes of film um, uh, but this 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 exercise in documentation that isn't like I said it's politically minded but it is not an activist type film or not an overtly activist type film it's not rubbing your nose and like look how horrible this is it's also not uh, apologizing for any for it in any way it is like a three and a half constant reminder that these are human beings young human beings who are doing this and we don't see like further down the production line we don't see like the clothes that they make get sold at a second discount at you know marshals or whatever uh we're just staying with them and uh they're 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 like i said they're human beings so often like i mean there's like a heartbreaking part where one kid uh again th these people are mostly in their 20s but one person like realizes they've done an entire huge stack incorrectly and mm -hmm. they're uh not gonna get paid for anything they did mm -hmm. until they fix it all like that's heartbreaking but also there's like parts where they do you know they're, they're mostly saving up their money or sending it back home you know because they're everything's mostly everything's accounted for but they do occasionally go out with their few hours a night that they have off um and so there's some fun stuff there there's uh um uh like there's one of the dudes is like out on the street and he meets a girl who works on the factory and he's like hitting on her and he like uh I guess in like pickup artist term, he negs her by saying like, "Your phone still has a home button," <laughs> which I immediately told Natalie about because her phone still has a home button. I've still got the home button. Uh, yeah, you guys are in the living in the past. Uh, and so I think this um, embedded portrait of humanity—it's—it's it's one thing to know that this is going on. Um, it's another thing to like see it and not in expose type of terms, just like live with these people it feels uh yeah i guess it feels not un frederick wiseman-y although frederick wiseman i feel like tends to center the institution more more mm -hmm. than the individuals and this is definitely the individuals but we also see them you know bargaining uh, they don't have unions or anything but they do like uh, uh have a sort of ad hoc version of collective bargaining where they're getting higher rates which again they're not paid hourly they're paid, like each individual item is worth a certain amount like so like you'll get paid however many cents for this vest but maybe a little bit more for these shoes or whatever um it's a uh fascinating movie and i i uh can't wait to see his other two follows which have already been filmed i mean he's already he, he did this project where he lived uh, among these people for like i said like two years um and uh, he has apparently promised that the totality of the three films will be under 10 hours. Right now, he is on pace for over 10 hours because this one's only one of them and it's three hours and 32 minutes. But uh, uh, fantastic. And I do think, I'm saying this is through the cracks now, but I really feel like if he, if 
this project continues at this um, at this pace and at this uh, level of quality, the the trilogy once it's done will be will be something undeniable um, and unignorable. All right. Well. All right. So with my last one, <laughs> as in, oh, yeah, yeah, another. Sorry, but listeners, that doesn't mean that you can't see it. Obviously, Scott and I have already given up on that. But uh, so. For my last one, I am torn. My instinct is to say one that now that I think about it, I might wind up saving for the underrated uh, next week. I'm not sure. So, um, so I'll go with another one that I think it did fall through the cracks, but there are some people that are actively trying to uh, get it more exposure. And that is Sam- Samuel Bowden's Cobweb. Hmm. Oh, yeah, I've been intrigued by this. Yeah, yeah. Of a good oh, things. my gosh. It's so good. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I don't know if it spent any real time in theaters, uh, but it popped up on Hulu. And there have been a few people that, you know, I heard about it because uh, a YouTube channel uh, went out of their way to talk about it. It's like this movie sort of fell through the cracks. And um, so I'm going to take up their mantle and talk about this movie that is just such a fascinating horror movie. Um, it's heavily stylized. Oh, um, okay. It, what? I thought you were talking about a different movie. You think, I was going to say. Oh. Yeah. There are there's two 2023 movies called Cobweb. Cobweb. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah, there's this a... Is, this is the other one. So this is... I was thinking you were talking about the Korean movie. This is the... Oh, no. Sorry. Um, I knew which movie you were talking okay, about. Yeah. Okay, so you were intrigued by it. Oh, yeah, I still am. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's essentially there, it's takes place not exclusively, but primarily in, uh, in this house that's very creepy on its own. Um, it looks like an old house, it's often dimly lit. Um, kind of reminds me of the house from, uh, from the Babadook. Um, and there's this uh, little boy played by. Woody something. The kid Woody, from, Woody Norman from There Woody There. Norman. Yeah, yeah. From what? Wasn't he the kid in There There? What's There There? Didn't see There There. Not There There. Come on, uh, come on. Come on is what I yeah, meant. Oh. Yeah. But There There was uh, Andre Bujalski's like, sort of yes. anthology vignette film, which was, I'm a Bujalski fan, but it was not very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Come On, Come On, actually, I didn't think it was that great either. Yeah. But, yeah he's great. I, I like that one a lot. Um, and I think Woody Norman's great in it. Um, and he's great in this, too. So he's this boy who isn't really allowed to do very much by his parents who seem like they're like aliens in in human form like they just don't act right it's almost like they're trying to emulate the parents out of like a sitcom such as um leave it to beaver or something like that so every so but the boy feels very normal and he just can't quite figure out why he's world is so strange and you know when he asks questions his parents are very they're not just cagey but they're cagey combined with um stern to the point of aggressive um so clearly there's some kind of secret going on um and then he starts hearing voices and he doesn't know what they are he doesn't know if they're actually in his head and so he goes to he tries to figure out 
what the source of the voices are and his parents um that he goes to them and they you know try to gaslight him and just say oh it's just a nightmare you just had a nightmare and that's all it's going to be and let's not talk about it anymore um and so so all right it's we've seen stuff like this before but to me it's the the level of um style in the performances um and the art direction and the music and everything like it's just so and what's more is everything is is that except our main character Mm. so he is just a realistic little boy in the midst of this weird unsettling atmosphere and it just gets you thinking because the movie picks up and the kid's like eight or nine maybe ten i don't remember exactly but all i can think of is like damn man he lived like this since birth (laughs) like this is a nightmare and it's really just this feeling of i mean i kind of honestly it's kind of how i felt about the babadook as well which is like what would it be like to grow up in a home where not only do you know your parents are keeping secrets from you but you kind of feel like they actively do not like you Mm -hmm. um and so i think it's it's disturbing before the source of the voice is ever revealed um just by nature of of the way of the family dynamic um and frankly even if the voice was never revealed and it was just about this kid in relation to his parents if that's all it was ever about um i still i'd probably still be talking about it and then once it finally is revealed it is it is also extremely creepy in ways that i don't want to talk about because i don't want to give anything away but uh but yeah it's it's just such a strange little movie one that i would say i mean i don't know if it was influenced by barbarian because they came out pretty close together but it is definitely cut from the same cloth as a movie like barbarian it also makes me think a lot about skin and did you see that this year i didn't yet oh man i i a friend of mine wanted to watch it with me yeah but he lives in uh he lives like uh south of uh is that huntington beach that's a place yeah he lives right around there and so he doesn't find his way up here very much wow. but i'm, sa- but I'm saving here. it for him yeah. <laughs> did, did you like it a lot of people hate it uh i didn't love it love it didn't make any of my various lists but it's so cool and <laughs> like uh is so worth seeing yeah did you see um did either of you see i mean i'm like 10 years late on it but did, did either of you see uh lake mungo no no it's an australian um uh, kind of a mockumentary a faux documentary um about like this family that lost their daughter and they keep thinking they see her and it's just extremely subtle and mm. just unsettling in that way it's solid really good um I but yeah so uh so cobweb um directed by samuel bowden um so one thing that i do like about this episode and especially now that scott is here as well like we've listed 15 movies yeah many of them extremely different from each other um and i always like to say like if you were to watch this you know this 15 movies or if you were to watch like next week you know watch my top 10 david's top 10 and scott's top 10 like you get a pretty good sense of what the year was and i feel like um 
if you were to watch this 15 movies, you really would run the gamut of genre of, you know, domestic versus uh, international and comedy versus drama versus horror, like all of that. And so you'd get a real, a real spectrum of movies if you were to go from, like if you were to draw from this 15 movies. And what's great about it is that it's, it's pretty unlikely that you've seen this this 15 movies. Yeah, especially mine. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true, yeah. I'm All right. pretty sure some of yours might be uh, like 2025 releases. <laughs> yeah. I feel all right. Uh, no, these, uh, everything I've mentioned has been released in the U.S. All right. Uh, um, yeah. Um, okay. So, yeah, thank you. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. You can yeah. find, I'd say, I mean, you can probably find reviews of some of these. Uh, I hate myself. Uh, <laughs> uh, at com, You can email us at david at com or tyler at com. You can follow me, David, on Twitter and Blue Sky at DaveyPretension. Also, check out my other podcast, The One Where I Met Your Mother, where my wife and I watch Friends and How I Met Your Mother and talk about it. Uh, yeah, oh, Letterboxd, David Bax. Uh, tyler, what do you got? Uh, honestly, nothing right now. Scott? Uh, Twitter and Blue Sky at Rail of Tomorrow, Letterboxd under my name. Um, I, at Battleship Pretension, I just posted a review of the Criterion release of Nothing But a Man, which is a great, great movie. Um, yeah. All right. Well, thanks for uh, coming back and joining us, Scott. Thank you at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>